What is up, Bacon Fam and Passion People? It is Jack here. I play guitar with a few of my friends from college in a band we famously named Space Bacon. It's February 2nd, and in a few days, we will be performing live at the Bowery Ballroom in New York, our first time in New York in a couple years. Uh, one of the best venues in New York, one of the worst cities in the world, also considered one of the better cities in the country. Congratulations to Zach on his first 20 episodes of the podcast. I've been listening along and I've been a fan. And also thank you for including my music as the intro for the first 20 episodes. For this episode, I had to hijack the intro because that's what happens when you let me produce the podcast. But Zach and I sat down on the day of our Higher Ground show in Burlington a couple weekends ago. We chopped it up about music, thoughts a little bit about lobster, and it was an eventful day. Show was good. The vibes were on point. We were happy with the crowd of the turnout, and I had a little too much fun on stage. I sprained my ankle, getting a little older, I suppose. And, uh, you know, if you're going to be playing live music, my suggestion would be stay stationary or if you're so inclined wear some trainers or at least shoes with laces uh, I was wearing my favorite shoes they are Adidas cloud foam although my perception of them is slightly tainted after this experience very comfortable shoes not suitable for performance but it's a new year folks it's uh, 2022 and it's your year. You're going to go out there and chase your dreams. If there's anything we've learned over the past couple of years is that anything can happen or the same thing can just keep happening over and over again. But you're not going to let that slow you down, right? I mean, you're going to you're going to start that TikTok. You're going to finally start building that crypto portfolio you've been talking about. Maybe you'll start a podcast. You know? Why not? Everyone's doing it. At the least, if your friend has a podcast, maybe you should go on it. So with that, let's get into the episode, folks. Episode 20 of the Passion Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Frank, coming at you from the beautiful, snowy state of Massachusetts on this fine late January morning. Sitting across from me. The one and only Jackie Dubs, guitarist from Space Bacon. How's it going, buddy? What's going on, Zach? You know, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me in your humble abode. Um, you know, I took the Amtrak up from New York last night. A nice uh, little train ride along the coastline, looking out on the sea. It was very poetic. It was very moving. It's beautiful, but, right? Absolutely fucking gorgeous. And uh, so we got here. We got got here last night and uh, went out to ramen. Mm. That hit the spot. That's a good spot, right? There is good food outside of New York. I mean, I wasn't sure, to be honest. And, you know, but the pendulum is swinging in that direction. I'm, I'm starting to become a little bit more open-minded. And that hit the spot. They had some good chicken. They did. I think we got 
two orders. We got two orders of the chicken. I, I, I told the nice, sweet woman that was our waiter, I said, excuse me, um, may we please have another order of the chicken? Because it's, and she was like, it's good, right? And I was like, it's fantastic. Yeah, the, the second bowl, though, wasn't as good as the first one. And maybe that's because we had already eaten one. I don't know if it's like that part of it, but they also, I noticed it wasn't as much Chipotle mayo or whatever that. You you did comment on that. And I, I do have to agree. It was kind of lacking in the Chipotle mayo. It was Chipotle probably for the mayo. best though. It was heavy because at the end of the first one, you were kind of eating the Chipotle mayo with the spoon. And I was like, damn, that shit slaps. But speaking of which, before you go on stage to play a nice nonstop set, What's your go-to pre-show meal? Yeah, it's always the regional food wherever uh, we are. So, like for Chicago, that's definitely Portillo's, hands down. Um, deep dish, also honorable mention. I think deep dish is, is good this time of year, especially like a day like today. It would be beautiful. But... uh yeah, in terms of, like, you ask the locals, like, deep dish is, like, okay to them. It's, like, a once-a-year kind of thing, I feel like, for a lot of Chicago people. Yeah, it's, it's like a Thanksgiving pizza. It's, uh, it's very heavy. It's, I could see it being celebratory, but, yeah, a lot of the Chicago uh, natives that I've spoken to, it's, it's kind of like a novelty. But, yeah, the Portillo's, the Italian beef dip just gets the juices flowing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, last time I was there, I went with uh, S, S Jake S John, as he's known by S John. He's a he's a legend, Chicago legend. Yeah, true he legend. Has, he has a um, a big personality, and I think uh, you could say that. And I'm a fan. It was my first time meeting the gentleman. We had a very nice, deep conversation, and he is a he's a good guy. I could tell. So so that's Chicago. Then if you go to Philly, you know you get a little uh, cheesesteak. But that's that's obvious, right? That's obvious. But uh, Philly has a lot. I feel like Philly is a culinary hub. There's some phenomenal uh, food there. There really is. I've had really good soup dumplings there. I forget the name of the place, but really good soup dumplings. And it was really good Italian in Philly, too. Phenomenal. But usually I just go with the cheesesteak. So quick and dirty. So looking back on some of the shows from 2021, obviously it was a roller coaster for reasons that affected the entire entertainment industry as a whole. Um, but you guys were able to squeeze some some great shows in at the end of the year, and I think that um, in November that two night run in Denver, as somebody that's you know been around for a few years and has, has seen the band um, progress and evolve and play in bigger rooms to to people that didn't grow up in and around New York City. Um, from my point of view, I think those two show, shows were really special. How do you feel about those, looking back on them? Definitely. I think the first time uh, we went to Denver, um, like that was a cool experience in and of itself, just you know, going to a different time zone to play. I think any of us really expected to do something like that when we started out, you know, in college kind of playing in basements and whatnot. Um, but Denver, yeah, Denver is just like a live music Mecca. I feel like it's hard to describe, but 
I'm pretty sure like any type of music, certainly with our style of music, which is more, you know, kind of free form improvisational type music. Uh, there's a huge, uh, I guess there's a huge demand for it there. There's just a lot more. So the first time we played there, we had, I think it was actually a a sold out show. It was a smaller room, but I think that first show that we played at, uh, your mom's house, great venue name. Um, I think it sold out. Um, and yeah, Denver just has a different energy than the East coast in terms of the, the crowds. People are really just moving. And I mean, I'm from the East coast. I don't mean, I like knock the East coast, but for, from a live music perspective, I think people out there appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah. As, as you know, and I think some people may know I'm an East coast guy <laughs> and, uh, but when I looked, you are I the went, most New York person I've ever met. I'm not at all, though. Trust me, I know some. You have a Statue of Liberty on your head right now, Lady Just Liberty. Just want to point that out. Touches my heart, and when I was younger, and I'd look at the Statue of Liberty, it reminded me to dream big. And so I just, I try to keep a piece of my youth deep embedded within. Did you think that in that moment that like you're like someday I'm going to have a podcast? Probably not, right? Because I don't think podcasts existed yet. No, I was like someday. I'm going to be a New York Times bestseller. But no, back to the Denver crowd. When I went out there and I gazed upon that sea of bobbing and weaving to the music of Space Bacon, I, I saw the glimmer in their eyes. And people were coming up to me after, like, yo, this is my first, like, on, on a completely real and totally serious note. People were coming up to me after, like, this is my first time seeing Space Bacon. I'm like, wow. And, like, that's just... For you, it must be pretty rewarding. Like all the way across the country, people that don't know you as an individual from a hole in the wall, but like know your band and are like on board. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think um, probably take it for granted a little bit when you put it that way. Because I mean, that's pretty cool. You're right. They don't fucking know you. But they know Space Bacon and they're a fan and then they go home. And since you guys have done such a good job with the, everything digitally, like from a digital marketing standpoint and the fact that you guys have super quality. And I can talk like this because I'm not in the band. I just, I'm a spectator and that you guys have quality soundboards. Somebody goes, have a really good time at the show and then they go back and they start delving into your catalog and there's just all this material. And that's how you gain real fans. Yeah. And I think the thing for us too is like, this is a, you know, it's something we do on the weekends. So like, that's all, that's like an added bonus, um, for us to go and and play and, and, you know, go to another city and not have to worry about paying for our flights or whatnot, like things like that. Um, we, you know, at the end of the day, we're not relying on this for, for, to put a roof over our heads or to feed ourselves. So, um, it, it, it makes it sort of fun. Like it's not, it's, it, there's no stress involved. And as long as we like just book the shows that we want to play, it's, it's a, it's a super, like, I would say it's like a hobby on steroids, right? It's like something we're doing outside of our, our regular lives. And we've been able to sustain for, you know, many years um, and take it to places like that where we're playing in Denver. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, work hard, play hard. And it's, it's something that, if you can be of service to other human beings in any capacity, but... To, oh, we're getting deep, huh? Yeah, no, because this is just... No matter how the cookie crumbles, this is the reality <laughs> of the situation. 
life's fucking tough sometimes. Not everybody has the best career and not everybody is in a position that they want to be in. And to be able to go out and get a, re- a cathartic release through like a band, like fucking taking it there on stage and, and taking chances and taking risks and the connection between the, like the symbiosis between the crowd and the band, they forget about everything and they really like get deep and, that's an that's a priceless experience. That's you can't go buy that at Walmart. That is a good point. You can't. I mean, I suppose you can pay for. No, I mean you can't really. There's really no price tag you can put on that. No, that's not like getting a pair of Jordans, dude. <laughs> it's it's a little bit deeper than that. It's it's not a material purchase. But like, did you think when you guys first formed that you would be flying across the country? Absolutely not. No, I think and I think. Um, that, that's an important thing is that we never had any, any expectations um, of any kind. And like, I think truly like it just started from us. I mean, if I put myself back into where our headspace was at when we were 20, 21 years old, uh, I think we primarily wanted to party. We wanted to like play live music and have a party around us. Like most 21 year olds. Um, and we also loved music. We were very passionate about it. Uh, so like once we, you know, I think from the first, first show we played, like once we saw that people would, you know, people would dance to the music and, you know, we would, we would get, you know, free drinks or whatever. <laughs> Literally like, you know, we weren't getting, we weren't making any money. It was maybe free drinks and, you know, getting to be kind of the, 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 the life of the party. Um, that was what fueled us in the beginning. And again, we like to play music. So I, I think if you took away the, like, I don't think anyone would go through all of the kind of the crap that you put up with being, especially starting out as a band like that, that we did. Um, if we didn't really like, truly love playing music and that, that was always the, the, the reason that we did it. Um, the partying was a bonus. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I made it sound like that was kind of the main motivation. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, I mean, I mean, the the band, as you can tell from the name, we didn't entirely take it very seriously. Um, it was, I wouldn't say it was a gag entirely, but it was certainly for fun. It wasn't, we didn't have any, um, you know, pretenses of, oh, we're going to, we're going to play in different cities or we're going to travel or we're going to record. Um, I don't think any of us really thought that far ahead. It was just one day at a time having fun with what we were doing. Yeah, and then fast forward, and you have, and then we're still stuck with this name. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love the name. The name's original, and um, but no, fast forward, and you have like fans all over the country that you've never met before, still that like are on social media, like come to my city, like I want to see you, and like oh, stop it. No, I mean that's a reality, bro. There are a few, you know, yeah. Like, you know, like I mean, and and why wouldn't you want to go to like Columbus, Ohio? Uh, it's far. Yeah. Okay. It's far, but all right. But even looking back on what's happened, so Chicago, Denver, and there's more to come. Philadelphia. I mean, we're getting ready to go up to Burlington for you guys to play a show. But like in two weeks, because this is gonna come out before you guys are returning back to the mecca. It's New York City, mm. and you know, yeah, Burlington, Denver, Chicago, Philly. They're all cool. This is New York City. Do you love New York, Zach? We know. New York City is New York City. That's all I got to say. And 
Is it still New York City? No, I, I sound like one of those like hipster, like old old hipster people when like I first moved to New York City. Like, oh, you don't know the old New York. You know those people? Dude, for better or for, for worse, New York City, Space Bacon's relationship in New York City, it's been well documented. Well, I'm, yeah, we are from there. Yes, the city has sunk its claws into like your sound and and there's a reflection of like that aggression that balls to the walls that attitude that swagger that i don't know if you would necessarily get if you guys came from like the sticks of yeah. colorado like just just sure saying, you know what i mean like certain bands sound like where they originated and when you come up in a certain area in a region in a city playing shows and like breaking your backs, blood, sweat, and tears. It's That's interesting. I've, I've never really thought of it that way. Um, but I suppose that's probably true. Like, I think you're, you're kind of like a product of your environment, right? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, it, the tempo is definitely faster, which would describe New York. And like, there's um, a million things going on. Like, yeah, it's kind of a mess. It, is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. No, I'm saying like coming up in New York, you're going to get humbled. Because on any given Friday or Saturday night, there's a million options. There's a million different venues for people to go to. So if you can pack out shows in New York City, like, that's a sign. That's an interesting point. I think that's, that's really true of like everything now. It's just there's so many people. Like everything is super competitive. Like, you know, what you're doing, like podcasting. I mean, it's not easy to to start a podcast, right? It's not easy to be a writer. It's not easy to start a podcast. It's I think though, like close. it's not easy to do anything on the flip to that though. I think because things are competitive, there is like a, there is a drop off point where like most people won't put in the hours or whatever to like get to that point. So like once you, I'm trying to think of an analogy, but like if you're, I don't know if you were like going out into the ocean or something and there's like a drop off, like some people would just sink. Yes. They can't swim. For sure. But if you can swim, for it's sure. a terrible analogy, but you kind of get what no, I'm saying, right? Exactly like there's saying. Some, like once you get to a certain point, I feel like it becomes it, it, the next kind of goal or whatever becomes a lot more attainable because there's less, there's less people that have gone in, have put in that much time or gone that far. If that makes sense. No, it does. And um, the hardest part is getting started, I guess might be another way to, the hardest to part it. is getting started, but also, Doing the work that needs to be done to be able to swim when it comes time to swim. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think, I think Bacon's done a good job at that because as we're approaching, like, you guys have played a lot of different venues in and around New York City. Um, what's the first venue that you guys ever played in in Manhattan? Ella Lounge. And where was that? Lower East. Is that still there? It's like across, it's really close to Mercury. I think it's across the street from Mercury Lounge. It's on like a side street. Uh, I can't think of what street it was on. Uh, I No, it's definitely not open anymore. Yeah. It's a def, like most of those venues, they're all defunct. Yeah. Um, yeah. Looking back though, what are your, some from some of your favorite memories of shows in New York City over the years? Whether it's certain venues, whether it's, a jam that sticks out, whether it's a, a show, just just anything. Because I mean, how many years did you live in the city? I think eleven, yeah. counting college, which yeah. was in the Bronx, which yeah. is part of New York City. Yeah, it counts. It's, it's yeah. part of New York. It definitely city. is. Um, I love the Bronx. I love the Bronx. That might be my favorite bur- borough. No, I when I, it's all said and I done, I love the Bronx. It has a lot of character. 
It really does. And that's why I love New York City, but the Bronx specifically. I would rather live in the Bronx than Williamsburg, me personally. I'm not even being facetious at all. No, I, be- I, I believe I, I don't want to live in New York City to be around a bunch of Midwestern rich kids that put on a <laughs> scarf and a funny hat and say they're an artist. Okay, but going back, sorry. No, no, you're good. Um, favorite memories? Uh, I mean, Brooklyn Bowl. Like first first time playing there, I don't. I'm not. I can't honestly remember what the first show was. Um, and like to this to this point, we've we've only done the support shows there, but it's just such a like world class venue. Um, and the food is unbelievable. Like that that alone, worth it. Even if you didn't get any pay, I shouldn't be saying this because then they're. Gonna, I shouldn't. Say, you got to take they're this gonna, out. They're going to pay you. In yeah, no, no, no. We won't. We won't accept a gig without pay with just food. But if there was ever a place where you might consider that, it's Brooklyn Bowl, just because the food is is so good. The chicken and the collard greens. Oh, oh man, my what god! Are we talking about over here. What are we talking about? Um, that's one of the best. And also, like, you get a lane. Like, a, in addition to the chi- the chicken, you get a lane. Um. So, like. You play music, you eat amazing food, and then you bowl. Like, what's a better what's a better night than that? That that's a that's a pretty full night. Yeah. The other nice thing with Broken Bowl too is you get the bowling crowd, so it's not just people that come to see your show, but there's also like random people in there too, which I feel like it also contributes to the vibe of that place. It's it's yeah. I mean, it's a nice there's other things going exactly. It's got a little bit more going on. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Mercury Lounge had some good some good nights there. Like it's a it's a really cool venue. I mean, it's obviously a pretty well known venue, but uh, it's small. But it's got a like when we've played like a show there that was packed or sold out. It was it's a vibe, it's a very high energy. Yeah, it's a good it's a good environment for our for our music. Yeah, and then you got Cats Delicatessen right over there. Oh yeah, you got a nice little pastrami on rye. I mean, what are we talking about over here? <laughs> it's all about the local cuisine. It's all we'll about that. the local cuisine, and New York is just enough about New York. So, also that it was it was really cool to see that you guys were able to squeeze in a little a little festival over this past summer um, called Safe and Sounds. How many sets did you guys play there? Um, I don't, I don't, I think like four. Four, right? Four. Yeah. I think four. And um, it was intimate. It was on a mountain. Yeah. Upstate. It was a good time, but it was also the, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was also the first shows where you incorporated um, a MIDI keyboard into your gear setup, which kind of opened things up a bit and um, got some really unique live Chronica improvisation going on, some like live techno stuff, some live house. Um, what made you bring that into the mix? Um hadn't played guitar in a long time. So <laughs> just kidding. Um, so, well, first of all, that was a really good experience. I think it was the first time we played maybe like after the COVID thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, George who put the show on George, uh, he's from Massachusetts as well. Good guy. Um, did a tremendous job with that. And I know 
the name of it was a little like, I was like, first, like, man, this could go really poorly. Like, if for any reason this doesn't end up being safe, like, it's a really bad choice of name, but it worked out perfectly. I think there was literally no issues. Um, it was, it was, a, it was this very smooth Beautiful. operation. Beautiful. Um, smooth. and you know how these small festivals go? Like, they oftentimes are not a smooth operation. A lot of times there's, there are issues. No, he knocked And that's even, bef- and that's before having a pandemic. Very true. So, uh, it, it, it. it was, yeah, definitely knocked out of the park. And yeah, I mean, I think for us, like we haven't played in a very long time and, you know, this is a fairly random location in, was it upstate New York? Yeah, it was upstate in the um, Catskills. Beautiful. And uh, most of the people that I met there, um, had come to see us and it was, it was pretty cool because we hadn't played in forever. And it's like, at a certain point, it's like, you feel like it's, you kind of forget that there are people out there that would that would drive or get in a car and drive into the woods to come see you play for four sets. So uh, that was that was cool, and it definitely I think it energized all of us. But as far as the MIDI thing, I just I you know spent a lot of time uh, over the break with with the laptop and just messing around with music production. I kind of I used to do that a lot in college, but obviously with COVID, there was no live music, so I spent a lot more time sitting down with the laptop and. Uh, messing around with, you know, synthesizers and stuff like that. So it was it was cool to try to incorporate that into into the live band thing. And I think it's since that show, I think it's it's evolved and it's it's starting to get a little bit more uh, cohesive with the rest of the music. I think the first one was kind of an experiment. It was definitely an experiment. And I mean, you had the keyboard set up with your back to the other members. Yeah, so we kind of worked that out. Different. That didn't work. The one in some of the jams in Denver with that were like. Shook the floor, straight. Uh, straight I definitely, yeah. I, I, for me, playing some of my favorite moments were not just that uh, the keyboard, but the moment you switch back to the guitar. That's that's a whole little thing in itself. Yeah, because I think you know we play these long format, you know, improvisational music, and you know it's it can get repetitive. I mean, that's part of it. That's the point. Like it's it's meant to take a theme and develop it over time and grow it. Yes. So it's kind of intrinsically repetitive, but like taking, finding a way to, to uh, take a break, especially from the guitar. So it's not just constant noodling and constant shredding. I really try to avoid that. Um, The MIDI is a great tool for that. Speaking of guitar. So I know uh, Bob Ware is a big inspiration <laughs> as a guitarist. What did you connect with most about his playing? Bobby. Nah, but for on the real, uh, who are some of your biggest inspirations as guitarists? Um, well, I would say Jimmy Page is like the f- quintessential. Because like when, you know, I, when I grew up uh, playing guitar, like that was around the time that I was also getting into classic rock. So like the Beatles were probably my all time favorite band. Led Zeppelin then quickly became like my favorite band after the, after the Beatles. Um, and then like, as I headed into like my teenage years, I got into like Nirvana. Um, I don't know if I could really say Kurt Cobain was like a, a guitar inspiration but like you know as an angsty teenager everyone loves that kind of stuff the grunge music oh yeah i was that was my band in seventh eighth eighth grade and some i would i think we probably still had an influence like he you know he wasn't a great guitarist but he did have some cool uh he had an ear 
Well, he had, he had a cool tone, yes. uh, very aggressive, abrasive tone. And then like, he did have some good, very simple, like solos or melodies and whatnot. And then, I mean, honestly, like a lot of my, a lot of the inspiration for me, is not, I, I don't take as much, like, I'm not like a guitarist, guitarist where like, I've studied like the, the masters. I'm not, I'm not like a virtuoso by any means. I'm kind of like a more of a, um, took lessons for a few years and then just spent the rest of my time playing with bands and like just improvising and, and learning by ear. But, um, like Schofield is another one of my favorites when it comes to the more technical guys. And then like Jake Sininger for like the style of music we play. I think he's like someone that anyone who plays guitar can learn something from. Um, and then of course, like, you know, Barber is like in terms of his phrasing and um, theme building, um, like when that guy's on, I think he's, he's definitely one of the greatest as well. Like, so I'd have to, I'd have to like, of course, drop him in there too. So yeah, I mean, that's probably a, a good summary. No, that is a good summary. I mean, Schofield is an absolute legend, um, who's just respected by anybody and everybody who has half a brain that knows music and for a good reason. I mean, He's been in the game since he was a teenager. He played with Miles when he was younger. Then he went on to build all these amazing bands and be a great band leader. Brought Deitch on board, did the whole Uber Jam thing with him. Yeah. The other thing, too, is like Sininger is one of the most humble. He's probably of that list. He's probably the most technical or at least the fastest. Um, Schofield, very technical, too, but like in a different way, like more of a jazz way. But like Sininger is just a, a sh like a, you know, he's a shredder. He's one of the greatest. Uh, yeah. Live but meeting him, uh, he's one of the most down to earth, most humble. And like you had Greenfield on your, on your show. Yeah. Like he was like of all, like not to like rank musicians on your show, but like, he's probably one of the most uh, successful musicians you've, you've done. Right. Or With Mike. Yeah. Yeah. He's and Paul and Tim Palmieri yeah. also a virtuoso. Yeah, Mike. Those two guys were like, Super, you know, you know what I mean. Like, when, when there's almost like a, it doesn't always work that way, but I feel like there's almost like a, a correlation between how 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 good someone is at their instrument and how like humble, and and chill they are. You know what I mean? Yeah, one hundred. A lot of those virtuo. I mean, there's definitely exceptions to that, but a lot of the virtuosos, like ones that really masters of their instrument, they're just like very down to earth. They have no pretension about anything. No, 100%. And yeah, I could, workhorses. I, I could see how Sinninger would be like that. And yeah, from a technical standpoint, I mean, he is, in my opinion, um, like when talking about like the greatest like rock guitarists, and he does everything. He does the prog, does the metal, but then he can just get really just emotional and and his phrasing is is absolutely beautiful too and he can paint pictures too he is objectively like one of the greatest that i've seen and and underrated in the scheme of things when like people that aren't that familiar with like this live music scene like this side of it he could be mentioned with like the greats of the greats too and then barber when john gutwig is on and if you listen back to when like his like when he's really locked in some of the time period mm -hmm. in the past in terms of painting motifs and, and, and finding a riff and then driving it to the fucking moon. Yeah. He, he's just. 
So it was really interesting because I feel like with with um with them in particular, like with the biscuits. So like I when I first heard it, I think Chris showed it to me like when I was maybe a freshman at Fordham. Me and Chris lived on the same floor at Fordham and in this building, Hughes Hall, which I think now is part of the business school. It's it's no longer a dorm room. This dorm room was kind of this dorm building rather was kind of crazy. So it was quads. So and it was like floors of guys, floors of girls. And like Fordham is a relatively tame school. Like it's a small private Jesuit college, but uh, like Hughes Hall was like the the ratchet dorm. And uh, it was definitely the dorm you wanted to be in freshman year if you wanted to like, you know, have fun. Um, but anyways, so I remember him first showing showing me it uh, at his, in his dorm. Um, and at first I, I just didn't get it. Like I listened to it. I was like, this is just awful. Like this is trash. Um, but then there's always that moment where it kind of clicks. And I think for me, it was like the, he showed me this one show from Bonnaroo in 2008. Uh, and that initial like opening segment is like, so, like to this day, I'm just thinking about that segment. And it's kind of giving me chills a little bit cause it's so good. And like the, the, op- like the, I think it's, is it like helicopters? Uh, man, I, I'm pretty sure it's the helicopters like peak, or like it's going into helicopters or something. And there's this like this theme and it's, it reaches a really fast tempo. Like it's probably like 160 BPM or something crazy like that. Um, but it gets there very progressively. And yeah, the Memphis helicopter. Memphis helicopter. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that, that like, that's, I would say that's kind of how a lot of jam music is for me. Like I don't, I try to cherry pick segments that I like and like I can listen to them. I have a hard like I I can have a hard time listening to stuff like fish because like some of it I feel like it it's it almost sounds like like church music to me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like I mean I'm not, I feel like I'm at like church on a Saturday when they used to have like acoustic guitars. It's like very folky and sing a little bit, but then there's also some fish jams that, that are, are like just, like just balls to the wall. Exactly. I would order or that like feet. that like cow funk they do with that like mm. swagger. It's like seventies. It's interesting. So like, I, I can't sit there and listen to jam bands. Like I can listen to like mixes and stuff, but, um, it's super hit or miss. It's a very hit or miss genre for me. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I, I really just attached with it because I have no, unless I'm seeing like one of like the greatest bands ever but even then I really don't have any interest in going to see a band that just plays like the same set every night with playing the songs at the same studio length with maybe changing a few notes and a guitar solo and going on and th- and that's why I really connected with jam music in terms of going out to seeing them because just the fact of like these guys are taking it's not any one particular band there's an assortment of bands that I love Biscuits, Lotus, whatever you whatever you want to pick, they're they're taking risks though, and yeah. they're creating art. And and once you kind of like, I had the same thing with the biscuits. I didn't love them at first. I went to Camp Bisco, self admitted, the first time I went because I was more into electronic music. Mm-hmm. And then I saw this band, and then I kind of heard this like, oh, this is their festival, and they're putting all these other acts on, who then turned into some of like the biggest acts in the country. Yeah. It's a little bit like almost like life though at a certain point. Like it's like, it's kind of like the, you know, I don't know if you know, like the problem of evil where it's yeah. like, if God is all, all good and all, all knowing and all omnipotent and why is there evil? That whole thing. It's going back to my, my Fordham days here. But uh, like, 
Yeah, like I think one of the arguments I, I I could be butchering this, but I think like the part of it is like if there's no if there's no evil, then like how do you define good? Like how do you yes. know what good is? Yes. Um, and that, I mean that's kind of true for for the improvisational stuff too, right? Like some of those soaring highs, like the reason they're so good is because they could be nestled in with with Absolute shit, garbage. <laughs> yeah, but like here's the thing. So when you get to that peak, it's like that feeling of like. Triumph. You know, we've come home, yeah, or triumph, yeah. or whatever you want to call it. It, it. It's almost like it has more of a punch because it could have come out of something that was like maybe not finding itself or like maybe it was slightly dissonant, you know. But that's that's what I think make great improvisational mus- musicians great improvisational musicians because they're willing to sound like shit to get to that point. Well, that's even true with jazz, dude. Like back in the I day, really, you know what I mean? Like they yeah. like take risks and shit, but then they get into something that like you could not find if you weren't taking those risks. So I agree. I mean, I think, I think when we started, the reason we took risks is it was out of necessity. And the, the, I think even the phrase taking risks, no offense. I know, I know what you're saying, but I feel like when a lot of people, like some people describe their own music as that, it's like, I'm bored taking risks. It's like, no, you're just, Un- unprepared. <laughs> you just fact. don't have. You're just, you're just under under rehearsed. Um, and, yeah. and that was definitely the case for us. Like we we just didn't have a catalog yet. And um, over time it builds, and you learn more songs. And like now, if we have a show, I can I can spend twenty minutes and brush up on the songs. It's it's kind of it's built in there. Were you gonna say something? No, no, I was telling you. Um, my closer. But oh yeah, sorry. But um, what was I saying? But yeah, we just we we had to improvise because we didn't have anything prepared for the show. And in the beginning, I think we like we were better promoters than we were an actual band, you know. And I, it really was mainly Kevin and Chris because all their friends are from Westchester. But when we used to play at Garcia's, those guys could bring people out to the shows because they had a lot of friends from the area that would come and that liked you know liked that style of music. Um, and we could bring at the time, 30 to 50 people, which for Garcia's, you know, was a decent amount. And then that number grew, but we were probably awful at the beginning. Like we were really just figuring it out. And over time we developed that muscle with the improvisational muscle, which it really is listening at the end of the day. It's, it's listening to the other people and figuring out how you fit into that and like what, what you can play that suits the bigger picture and not just playing over everybody, which is how it started for sure. Yeah. I can relate to that. Yeah. I mean, every musician probably can, right? Yeah. Once you get good at listening and stuff, but yeah, you built that muscle and then it was time for space bacon to, to build the composition muscle, which I think as somebody that's seen the progression in the songwriting, I could, I could, there's definitely a, a period came where, there was noticeable growth in the songwriting department. Yeah, I would agree. And what do you think that some of those songs would be? I mean, there's clearly like, there's the, like, uh, like scroll is in my opinion, it's one of my favorite songs. Um, but it's extremely simple compositionally. I think it's two chords, uh, which works. I mean, it's like a, it's an inf- instrumental like jingle basically. Like, I, I feel like that song, it, it sounds to me like it's like a car commercial or something like that. In fact, I think we should like re- retrack it and try to get like a sync placement on it for like a Nissan commercial or some shit. I could definitely see it with the Nissan brand. Right? Um, but 
yeah, there's those which it's very, very rudimentary, like simple, which works. Um, there's like your jam vehicles, which are like half songs, half like just like it's a theme that's thrown together that it's like a checkpoint you can go to when you're writing a set list so that you have a theme that you can latch onto before going on to the next thing. They're like, you know, rest stops, if you will, on the journey. And then there's the compositions, which those would be like your prologues, your, your Rosandras. Um, yeah, I mean, really, th- those are probably the two of the bigger ones. Yeah, those two in particular are like the main ones that I re- was referring to in terms of they're a little bit more complex than some of the earlier stuff. And and don't get it twisted. Just because a song's more complex, in no way does it make it better than a song that's, that is built on foundational simplicity. But it's it's good to be able to mix in those compositions that carry a little bit carry more complexities along with like the simple driving stuff you know what i mean to just flex that muscle and also a good one's jackknife you wrote that right yep yeah that's that's a good tune that's probably one of my favorite tunes to play because it's just very it's very simple and i think it just it came together in like 20 30 minutes or something like that um it's when i was living with billy in our apartment in south first street um yeah, that, that apartment was wild. Me and Billy, me and Billy lived in an apartment with basically no living room. Uh, it was a great deal. Like we were in Williamsburg and I think I was paying like a thousand a month, which for that neighborhood and like at that time was like, it was really good. But uh, we definitely made the sacrifice of not having a living room because our <laughs> living room ended up being like the, the neighborhood <laughs> and like whatever, you know, we would go to this bar, Ontario and like, oh man, me and him were not the best influences on each other. <laughs> it was a really fun time though. But uh, yeah, that song probably came out of like, I don't know, it was probably like, a, I was probably hung over or something and wrote that one. It's definitely got that kind of vibe. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the songs we've written are like, like they came together. Someone came with an initial idea and then we like hashed it out as a group. I would say it's, it's a very collective effort. There's songs like, you know, like flamethrower. Chris, Chris wrote that on MIDI. I think he wrote that on reason and like brought it to the band. It was already compositionally flushed out. I mean, it's again, it's a very simple song, but works. And, um, that's an example of a song that like he just brought to the table. It was just good to go. Yeah. And then fast forward to a song like parachute. Parachute. Definitely. That's a true collaboration. I think, um, I think most of the composition, like the chords, Chris, um, any lyrics, uh, I've written all the lyrics yeah, uh, for all the songs. So definitely the lyrics. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think just some of the nuances of like the, the compositions are, they come from like someone bringing an idea to the table and then like us getting that to work with the, the full group. So that could be like shortening a, you know, shortening a, a verse or whatever, like all those kind of minor details. But I think a lot of the chords for that song, he, he had flushed out. So then you guys released your first, the debut LP cone. And were you guys sitting on most of those songs for a while or were some of the material new that you wrote specifically for the studio? Um, um, it's, it was kind of a long process. I'm trying to remember. No, I, I don't think, I think 
the songs were pretty much already like in rotation at the at the time we recorded them. Um, some of the interludes, those definitely were made for the purpose of of the album because they weren't. I don't. I mean, we haven't played any of them live. Um, but aside from that, all the other tracks were just like songs we had in rotation. Um, and then some of them were written in the process because we did initially tracked at a studio for that one. And then we ended up doing a lot more up in Vermont with Freddie. And I think that was a learning experience for us because it was definitely a better experience working, like doing the recording ourselves. So like that was one takeaway. Um, going to a studio, well, it, like it not only cost money, but... Um, it's because of the fact that it costs money, it changes the vibe completely because you're like on a clock. Um, and that's good if you're like a session musician and like you're ready to go in there and just bang out the tracks. But, you know, we would be going in there on the weekend after working a full week and it was just too too stressful. So like if, if anyone was... I guess contemplating buying studio time, I would, I would, I would, and it's your first time recording. I would honestly recommend you not to do that. Um, I think the only reason you need a studio is to track drums. Everything else can come through this interface we're using. These are these universal audios. You can track vocals through this. I feel like I'm like plugging universal audio right now, but uh, this interface is really good, and you can you can track guitar through this uh, bass. You can just go direct DI with guitar, and it sounds really good. A lot of the a lot of the cone guitar is actually DI from the Twin, and then Freddie like maybe did did some post production on it. But uh, yeah, I think this is really all you need. Um, and this is what like you know I know you were listening to that Tim Dillon clip earlier. They were talking about post Malone like I'm pretty sure like post Malone like records his albums like just just going through an Apollo twin damn so like yeah where where we've gotten to with technology now with these these interfaces and they're like analog emulation and digital to analog conversion it's really really like state of the art and I'm not I feel like this is I feel like I'm like yeah. I'm like I'm like selling against studios. So I feel bad that studios definitely serve a purpose. And I think if you're like I said, a session musician or like a full-time professional musician, I understand why you'd want to go to one. But if you're a DIY project, I would say save your money and just hire a really good engineer to mix your stuff like Freddie. Or just hire Freddie. Freddie's world class. Freddie is uh He's pretty busy, so you might not. I mean, I don't know. I don't know his going rate is now. It might be expensive, but yeah, I would I, honestly. I would. I would. I would record yourself. The other beauty of it too is like I know I'm kind of going on a rant, but yeah, a moment from our sponsors, please continue. <laughs> um, the beauty of it too is like you have the complete freedom to like overdub. Like, I would be sitting there, like recording like overdubs on guitar. And like, we were like running out of time and like, I felt like a jerk because like, I don't want to be sitting there like using the time, but I also wanted to nail my takes, which for me means doing it as many times as necessary until it sounds right. And at home with the interface, I can do that. I could, I could sit there and, and do two hours worth of takes until I get it right. And there's no time limit. So I would say I'm a big proponent of, of self-recording after the experience. I mean, yeah, and then also with COVID and everything, besides you really diving headfirst into 
being able to operate in Ableton at a higher level, you, I would assume that you also the other thing too is yourself. for the person working at the I know now I'm really going on a rant, but I, I will say it, it, it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth because they for them it's just a job, so like they don't care about the product, and it's 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 palpable. Like you can tell. Um, and I get that because for them, it's just a day job, but like Freddie, he cares, like he cares a lot. That's why we work with him. Um, and he understands the, the music, like he understands what we're, what we're trying to achieve. That's very important. I think like you, you should be working with an engineer that like at least has a good reference of what sound you're looking for or listens or, or at least cares. No, I totally agree. He, um, he is very critically on point and um it's so crucial like it the same thing with those early shows you asked about like early new york shows like that's another thing and that's one of the reasons that we made the decision to have fred full time like a lot of people have like light people which would be awesome i would love to have an ld but like if the priority is definitely sound first because most most house sound engineers are burnt out. They work at the venue all week. They listen to music for hours they don't like. And when you're there, like you think, like, you know, you're starting, you think that you're the special snowflake that's going to go in there and get great sound. These engineers don't give a shit. You know what I mean? And like, they're wrong. Can't really, I can't really blame them. They're making very little money. Their ears are shot probably. You, your band's probably trash because you're just starting. You don't sound good to begin with, so why waste the energy trying to make it sound a little bit better? Yeah, <laughs> no. So these are all facts. So that that's a that's a game changer. Freddie was a game changer for us. Um, he, yeah, I mean, and that now like we're playing somewhere like higher ground. Like you don't have to worry about that as much. Like their house engineer is probably world class and would make your band sound great, but the stepping stones to get there, those smaller venues, they do not care. And every now and then I will say every now and then there would be someone like Freddie that you will find that does a really good job. And that's really, really nice. and makes it a smooth professional process. And I would say like, if you find one like that, then you should like try to network with them or like hire them. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that is true. Now that you guys are playing at, um, some, you know, you've reached like the next level of venues from some of those smaller, more, just smaller, more independent clubs, um, like higher ground. I'm sure Bowery Ballroom probably has a good tech. Yeah. But uh, yeah, of course. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the tech there, but, yeah, but no, it's, it's still a, a gamble every time. It is a gamble. And Freddie's just part of the team. But, I, you know, some engineers know the room really well. That's, that's so. You know, I, I personally would rather take an engineer that knows the sound well and the band well and can learn the room during the sound check than roll the dice every single time you're playing in a new venue. And that's, I think, that obviously, that's the reason why most bigger acts have their own sound engineers. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Now that we're in 2022, you know, you got, you got a number of shows coming up. Um, what's What's the mission for this year? The mission is no mission. Um, I think you. I think you might ask Chris something similar. Um, when? 
when you came on your show. Oh, uh, you listened like that? You're a fan? I li- I'm a huge fan of your show. Oh, wow, man. You're a sweetheart. I'm also an official music director. I've made all no, your you're the official. Music. You're the official music director. Oh, official now. Thank yes. you. Promoted. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I mean, uh, truly, I think it's, I think for us, it's very simple. We, you know, we have, a, we've from the very beginning, like did this because we like music and we have fun. So like, those are, those are the two priorities. Like we want to have fun, make the best music we can. And, you know, now at this point, if we have people traveling to see us, which we do, we want to make sure that we make it worth their time. We want to make, give them the best experience possible. Um, and then we also want to eat the best food at every place we go. Those are, those, those are really the goals. I mean, there's no, we don't have any pretensions about this. We're not trying to, you know, become uh, a radio hit. I mean, we, we know, we know what kind of band we are. <laughs> we're, we're, we, we're uh, a live band We're we're there for live shows. Um, and that's what people come to see us for. And uh, we want to make the show as memorable and as, as unique as possible every time. That's really it. Yeah, now that people are starting to travel more, again, like outside of like the immediate like home team. I mean, when we're in Chicago and you hear things like there's like, these two people flew to see you guys from Alabama or like drove from six hours yeah. away in Ohio. I mean... Everyone makes their own life choices. <laughs> like I, I, I can't, dude, I can't speak for those people, but I can. We're, I hey, we're, we're we're flattered. I mean, I respect it. It's interesting. I mean, <laughs> why are you looking at me like that? I respect it. Bro. I respect it. Yeah, yeah. More no, people. For sure. We need more people like that. So if you're out there and you um you know live in Wyoming or uh, Arkansas or something, get in the van. Get in the van. Get your friends. And make it out to a space baking show because you will have a good time. Straight up, point black, point blank, point black. Money back guarantee. And no, no, no. There's no refunds. <laughs> money back guarantee. No, just kidding. No refunds. And um, so you have shows coming up where you got Connecticut, you got Harrisburg, PA. I know you're a big fan of Harrisburg. What, 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 um, <laughs> Why do you love Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, as much as you do? I miss I misread the I misread the offer. I thought it was in Baltimore. Which is how does how did, wait wait pause pump the brakes right there? How does Harrisburg look like Baltimore? Because we're playing with Litz, and usually when we play with Litz, it's, it's in, in Baltimore. Baltimore. Okay, so I was mistaken. Um, Harrisburg is a fine place. It's just very difficult to get to, especially when you're in Massachusetts. There's no, there's no direct flights and there's no easy drive. But that being said, it's a central part of PA. So for a lot of people in PA, I guess it's convenient for them. When I've been having a rough time in the past, um, my, my thing that I would do to kind of break out of um, my depression I would I would rent a car and I would drive to Harrisburg and <laughs> I would take in the scenery and there's something soothing about that that central Pennsylvania air that really calmed me. So I'm me me in particular, I'm a huge fan and I'm really looking forward to that show. <laughs> hey, look. Right, sounds like, it kind of sounds like you're knocking Harrisburg. I'm not, I'm sure. dude. I'm, I'm not sure not, some people aren't going to appreciate. Yo, I'm not knocking Harrisburg. You're I, such a yuppie New Yorker. I, you know that, Zach? I'm from Pennsylvania. 
Is that true? I'm from Pennsylvania, no, born not. and raised. I'm from Harrisburg. <laughs> so no, what's, the, what's the local cuisine there then? If you're Amish. from there, Amish. Mm. I think farm probably, the table. I think there's a probably a, uh, maybe a, a German and a Dutch population. Um, I don't know for sure. I, I really haven't studied. You think there's graphic. probably? Are you just like making this up? No, no, no. I, I, I think there's probably a, a strong German and a Dutch population. You probably get a nice Wiener Schnitzel or something like that. Sure. But but moving on from Harrisburg, you got Connecticut, Bridgeport. Another yeah. beautiful place, especially this time of year. Um, but that's a new venue too, right? Park City. Yeah, I think it's the acoustic. Is it the acoustic? It's the old, old acoustic? acoustic. That was a fun show. That was my birthday show. You guys did. I think. Sun- I think it is. I could be wrong. You guys did sunglasses at night. That was a legendary uh, show. Sunglasses at night, and then your uncle sat in. Yep. And we had Pepe in the green room. Mm-hmm. Big fan of Frank Pepe's, right? Yeah, I've been wanting to try some of the other ones. Like which one? Sally's is supposed to be good. Modern and every everything is op op pizza. They always put an A before their pizza. Why is that? Because they're trying to be cultured. But, but this is the thing, though. Isn't pizza not actually Italian? Isn't that a whole thing? It's American, or is that chicken parm? Chicken parm is not. Chicken parm is American. Chicken parm is chicken parm is American. Yeah, bro. So I'm getting that confused. So pizza is Italian. So I just sound like an idiot. I mean, yeah, it's Italian, but like, it's it's like New York Italian American. Um, you are you you in New York, bro? This is we're talking no, about Connecticut. Okay. We're not even talking about New York, no, and you talk, somehow make talk, it about New York. We're talking about pizza, okay? And these fucking Connecticut yuppies. Think that they got the best pizza in the land because they pour no yeah, yeah. Okay, it whatever. It is highly rated. It is highly rated and it's good. I enjoyed a pizza. But I mean, Brooklyn, New York. I don't know if I can really trust his reviews though because he gave Pugsley's, which is in Fordham and the Bronx. And he did it with John Taffer, who's an absolute legend. You're a big Taffer fan. I love Taffer. I, could see I love that. his energy. I can see that. He is a... You should yeah. incorporate some Taffer samples into I like, a, I like that. Into a future bacon set. So they gave it a seven. He gave it like a seven something. And that pizza is definitely an eight or above. It's really good. It's some of the best pizza I've ever had, Pugsley's. Have you ever had Pugsley's? No. We're in the Bronx. I mean, so his thing is he likes the undercarriage to be... He doesn't like to have flop with the slice, which... I mean, I get that. It's a little floppy of a, of a slice, but the cheese and the sauce... A one Pugsley's. It's so good. It's some of the best pizza I've ever had, honestly. And maybe it's part of it's just nostalgia from like going to school there. But I really think Pugsley's stands up, and I think it deserved a higher score. And I think he should give it another shot. Yeah, I mean, the way that you're speaking about it, I want to go there right now. Yeah, we should. But we're in Massachusetts, so is there any good uh, seafood places around here? Any good uh, spots <laughs> to get lobster? You should definitely look up uh mainly I just stumbled on this the other day. I don't know I don't know why I wasn't looking for lobster. I might have just been like looking up local restaurants. And if you look up mainly lobster, you just have to look, I mean you just have to pull it up, Zach. All right, one sec. It, it, so. They have like forty one star reviews. They have like forty reviews total. It's like an average of one point two. Uh you know, so they have an average of one point three on Google. Why is this? I'm pretty sure that if you look at the, if you'd like the front page of Google results for them, 
is it's a it's like a video. It looks like a TikTok video of like the owner just snapping on a customer. Uh, wait a second. So I'm I'm looking at the reviews and, and the funny thing is this place is still in business. Like a, they must they must have very good lobster because their reviews are you yeah, know um, it it seems like it would be a, a career ending uh panning in terms of the 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 critical reception of this place. Yeah, so the there's a one star review from October 2021 that um it reads the owner became violent and verbally <laughs> abusive at us. Because when you think of bad service, do you think of the, not just an employee, mind you, this isn't just like yeah. a hostess. The owner. This is the owner of the place. And this is how, this is how they run their business. Getting violent with a customer. The owner became violent and verbally abusive at us because I had on a Biden-Harris face mask. He snapped and called us demonic simply because of my mask. He kept yelling that Trump won the election. We, we hope he gets the help he so truly needs. Suffice to say, we won't be back. Yeah. That's that's good stuff. I kind of feel like we should go there to see what happens. I, and you I, should wear your Yankees hat, which you're wearing. I, I'm going to go there, and I want to have a Biden 2024 <laughs> t-shirt and a Yankees hat and with a face mask that has... <laughs> and How would that work? It's just the, it's just the mouth. No, but uh, there's another one. Um, some asshole at the counter was screaming at a woman calling her demonic. Not appropriate behavior for a business or business owner. See, that's one thing that it looks to me though. What what this looks like? Sorry to cut you off, but it looks like there was one incident, and then like this person like recruited others yes, to yes. to like you know recount the same situation. Unless this is a recurring thing, and that's kind of why I want to go there. It could be a rec- you know in the um, in the space and times of QAnon. Um, this could be a reoccurring thing. Some people do get very passionate. There's one thing for sure. That will never happen to you at a space bacon show. <laughs> That's true. That can be, that, that, that we can guarantee. That is an absolute guarantee. No one will call you demonic. Nobody will call you demonic. But we also don't have any seafood. So no lobster. But life's about trade-offs, right? Life's all about trade-offs. And you know what? If you want to come to a space bacon show, and have a good time with all the buzzwords, good vibes, good energy, all, all that uh, hippy-dippy horse shit. But some just really good people and good jams, you need to come through to a Space Bacon show in 2022. I'm really excited about some of the upcoming shows, some of the ones that aren't announced yet. Um, what can you say about those? Are you excited or no? You didn't put me on the spot like that. Are you that. excited or no? <laughs> I was. It's all about one show at a time, Zach. When I look, I at, can relate to that for a different reason. But continue. I'm I'm excited. When I look at the schedule as a whole, it fills me with dread because I think about all the travel that I have to do. But Bitch. it's really not that much, and I've become kind of a homebody. What can I say? Yeah, COVID. Just, COVID has made me a bit a bit recluse. I mean, yeah, you're stacking paper over there. In your humble abode, I can understand why. But you got to go out and make people happy. If you say so. I mean, look. With your PRS. I am your spiritual sensei, Jack, <laughs> young grasshopper. And you have a duty to go 
make people happy and bring the sauce. That's what we're here to do. We're here to bring the sauce. Listen, you got you got a responsibility. You understand that? This should be <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm. I'm Push the fuck. Listen to me. It's always something else with you. <laughs> you and your podcast. When are you going to grow up? When are you going to get a real job? Don't. Come on. Don't. Pee. This envelope feels a little bit light. We're working on it. What can I say? It's good coffee, right? Fantastic coffee. Good morning. Is there anything else that you want to say to all your fans out there that are listening? Okay, so I'm re-recording this answer because my first one was a little lackluster. Uh, I think I felt a little put on the spot. So I'm going to take this opportunity to plug now. This is my plugging voice. We have a show coming up this Saturday at the Bowery Ballroom. It is one of the best venues in New York City, arguably one of the worst cities in the world, but it is also considered one of the better cities in the, in the country. So definitely come out. Um, it's going to be epic. New York City has been shut down for over two years. There hasn't been any live events or shows. And we're playing the first one in over two years. They finally lifted up the restrictions. They said, we need a band to fill this slot. And they've selected us. So we're very honored. We have Escaper opening. They are a band that is... Uh, also, same front man as Space Bacon. We have Sam Crespo. And also, Luke Beamand is uh, playing bass for them. He is the legendary bass player from The Special, one of my favorite bands. Uh, we've also got Microcave opening. Very solid band. Very fast playing. Top-notch stuff. And that is the lineup. So we are stoked for this show. The tickets are probably dirt cheap. I don't know how much they are. You can try to get a guest list for me. It's going to be epic. And the other thing I'd say to all the fans on a serious note is if there are any fans listening to this, we really appreciate you. Uh, we've been doing this for a long time. And what really keeps us going at the end of the day is the people that come to the shows, the people who send us messages, who purchase the albums from Bandcamp. Uh, it brings us so much joy and you know, you guys keep us going. So we really appreciate you. Uh, like I said earlier in the beginning of the podcast, I hope you pursue your dreams this year. It's 2022. No more bullshit get out there, get after it. You know, you can start your new year's resolution in February. It's okay to have a cheat month. If you did dry January, good for you. If you didn't, who cares? You can do dry February. If you want to start your TikTok this month, cause you didn't last month, that's fine. Still we'll start the TikTok. You got to start somewhere. All right. So, uh, let's get back to the podcast. That's all I got. Space Bacon Sound has continued to evolve and they're excited to bring it back home to the core of their fan base. Whether you've been following them from the beginning or you just hopped the turnstile and sprinted onto the train, this will undoubtedly be a monumental night for Space Bacon and their fans. Space Bacon takes over the Bowery Ballroom with support from Escaper and Microcave on February 5th. So if you haven't already, get your tickets and we will see you out there. Anything, any last words, Jack? Keep up the great work, and thank you for having me, Zach.